it is good to be with you this morning. Um, we are past Thanksgiving. We're right in this middle between Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Right? This is the window where all the money leaves your bank account, right? This is the four weeks where everything kind of goes away, right? And you start buying things and packing things and organizing things. Christmas is coming. It's coming quickly. Um, and we are going to continue our four-week series on living a lifestyle of generosity. It's called Open Handed. Now, I, some of you, I talked this morning about it, and they said we were still in the middle of that series. We took two weeks off before Thanksgiving and after Thanksgiving. We had two weeks that we talked about it, and now we're going to finish it up with two more weeks. And I thought it's a really great series for us to wrap up as we're coming closer to Christmas because is, is it, all, excuse me, it is all about having a heart of generosity and living a life of generosity. What better time than Christmas to talk about God's so love of the world that he gave his son. And Jesus came, God Almighty, in the flesh so that he could go to a cross and he could die for us. That is the greatest example of generosity we could ever experience. So we're going to continue to talk about this. And not just because generosity is important. Remember, we've talked about this before. Generosity is not just financial It's with our gifts, it's with our talents, all of those things together. And here's why foundationally I have been saying we should be doing a series like this, and it's here for you, because living generously is an expected evidence of spiritual maturity. Living generously, or if you want to say a lifestyle of generosity, it's an expected evidence of spiritual maturity. When we become followers of Christ and we become closer and we start growing closer to God, lots of things begin to change. One of the things is our attitude towards generosity. We do not become more stingy. We become more generous. If we walked into a situation not knowing Jesus and our hands were closed and we wanted to keep everything we had in our lives, when we find out Jesus is who he is and we begin to follow him, our hands begin to slowly open as we grow closer to him. Make sense? This is really important, and that's why we're going to do this. I've said before, and I'll say it again, selfish Christian is an oxymoron. Or at the very least, it's an immature Christian. It is a lifestyle that continues to propagate as we build um, our lives through, or as we continue to grow in our lives here on earth. So Pastor Jeff started week one because generosity is not just one thing. There are four different things that I want to talk about over the course of this series, that if you apply these principles it will lead you towards a lifestyle of generosity. On week one, Pastor Jeff talked about how everything belongs to God. Everything. Some of you were here for that. Do you remember that? None of it belongs to you, and none of it belongs to me. And some of you may say this, none of it belongs to the government either. Right? Can you say amen to that? Right. Amen. I say amen. That's right. I might write whatever I have to, but you don't own it. And I think it's important that I go, Lord, thank you. I may not own it, but they don't own it either. All of it belongs to God. All of it comes from God. All of it belongs to God. And the benefit of understanding that one is that we don't stay too connected to it because we're, we're stewards, we're not owners. And as a result of that, we can live with more freedom because we can recognize if all we're called to do is manage stuff as opposed to possess and own things, we can be more generous towards others. That was week two. Number one, it all belonged to God. Number two, or week two, we were talking about managing well and stewardship. And remember, you cannot expect God to entrust you with more if you're not faithful with what you already have. It doesn't work any different than that. I knew a kid when I was in high school 
Now, in high school, I got my license, senior year, I got my driver's license, and I was really blessed. And I'll tell you why. Because when I turned 17 years old and I got my license, I was able to drive a 1983 Volkswagen Rabbit. Diesel. Rabbit that left huge amounts of smoke as you would go down the road. Now, now don't get me wrong. I, I didn't own it. My father owned it. But man, that thing could do 50 to 55 miles an hour any day of the week. <laughs> you got me? And at that point in our lives, it was breaking down so much that you would, I remember we turned the windshield, we turned the, the turn signal on and the wipers would go. And I remember the air conditioning didn't work, so there was a switch to turn the air conditioning on, and the horn was necessary. Like, there was a lot of things that was wrong with the car. But here's why I'm telling you all of that. There was a kid that I knew when I was in high school that when he got his license, he was given a $44,000 black Corvette convertible. And we lived in an area where that was not uncommon. And it was such a beautiful car. And he totaled it. And I remember, and I don't know why, but I remember telling him one time, I said, that is such a beautiful car. And his response to me was, yeah, I wanted a red one. And he totaled it. And let me ask you, he didn't total it because he was upset with his parents. His, his family gave him something that he was unable to handle. The power of that car. I never, I never wrecked our Volkswagen Rabbit. I didn't. I actually drove it around our, our house many times before I had my license. So I learned how to drive it around my neighborhood, which was actually my, not my neighborhood, my backyard and my front yard until my neighbor told on me. But I never wrecked it because I could handle the power that that little car had and it didn't have much power. This big car with huge amount of power was given to this guy with no experience and didn't know how to manage anything, wrecked it because he didn't know how to deal with it. Money and finances are no different. When we look at who God is and we look at the way God wants us to live, we recognize it all belongs to him. We follow him. The second thing is we are expected to manage what he gives us. And if we do not manage well the things he's entrusted us with now, how can we expect more from God? Make sense? Isn't this great? It's encouraging, right? Right. It's great. Okay, so you can go back and listen to that one today. And that was all about stewardship. And let me just tell you again what stewardship is. I put the definition. Stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care for God's glory. You are managers of his resources. I am managers. I'm a manager of his resources. He entrusts me to manage it all well so that it can grow. Now, I've shared this with people over the last couple of weeks. I had someone actually I talked to recently, and they said, yeah, I have a question for you. Um, They said, I understand Pastor Jeff, and I understand the management stuff. What about tithing? What about tithing? And I said, well, that's today. That's week three. What about tithing? What about tithing? I'm going to tell you very honestly, this is not a, a, a message I really like to speak about. Because, and I, years ago, I did not talk about this in our church, many years ago, and I had a pastor friend talk to me, and he said, directly to my face, he said, you need to get over yourself. And I said, well, why? Because in my mind, there is a stereotype that people have in the world regarding the church and regarding finances, am I right? And how churches are only after your what? Money, of course. It's only about, and when you look at that, you go, well, we could never actually talk about that too detailed. So many, many years ago, I never talked about it. But then I had that epiphany when I talked to my friend, and I realized that it is one area that is incredibly influential in our life. 
And it is one area that continues to allow us to grow spiritually mature. And if we don't ever talk about this piece, we are doing a disservice to the people and the the, the church of Jesus Christ. So what about tithing? We're going to talk about tithing today. And my hope, and, and I want you to do this. Now, some of you may actually know what I'm talking about. And you'd say, okay, where are we going to go with this? I think I know where you're going to go. Others may not have any idea where we're going with this. Because maybe this is a new concept to you. I can tell you over the years that I've known people that have come to the church, some people have no idea how this works and what this is really about. Here's what I want to ask you all to try to do. One, it is impossible for us to cover this in the time that we have. Okay, It's too much to talk about, but I'm going to hit some very key things that I hope will give you a starting place for you to go and to search it yourself. Because I believe tithing and the concept or principle of tithing is a very personal thing between you and God. Okay, it's not about a requirement, and I want to talk about that in a little bit. Okay, so what I did is I broke this down into three pieces of a puzzle. Okay, and I'm calling it the three T's of tithing. Okay, and here's what we're going to do. Um, Before we go any further, I'm going to tell you what it is. Okay, I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to define it for you, and then I'm going to explain the benefits of it, and then as a result of that, why we should continue to do it. Okay, so the three T's of tithing, and you may want to take some notes or take some screenshots, um, especially if you're not familiar with this, but the first T in the three T's of tithing is that tithing is a tenth. Okay, tithing is a tenth. Tithe is just a traditional or an old school word for tenth. Now, the logical question would be a tenth of what, right? A tenth of what? Well, the definition of a tithe from a biblical perspective is that a tenth of a person's income or property is given back to God in support of the church, its ministries, and its ministers. Okay, when you see an example of a tithe in the scriptures, you're primarily looking in the Old Testament, and we'll talk about that versus the New. A tithe is a person's income or property that was given back to God, consecrated before God, set apart for God, for its church, for his ministries, and the ministers of the nation of Israel. Okay, that's what the tithe is. It was literally a 10% donation, if you will, but it wasn't a donation. It was a requirement that the nation of Israel had to do. Now, there's some foundational verses that I'm going to touch on very briefly, and you can go back and study them if you want. Leviticus 27.30 is written, God says through Moses, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Okay, that's one of the scriptures and why Israel was being taught they needed to give a tenth back to God. In Numbers 18.21, the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. So in this situation, he's explaining that part of the tithe goes to the Levites. Now, in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, there were 12 tribes of Israel. They all owned property. They all owned land. They all had all of their inheritance and their resource in the land. The Levites owned nothing. They were the priests before God, and they took care of the ministry of Um, sacrifices and handling all the temple worship steps. And there was a lot of things involved in temple worship. And their inheritance, if you will, was partially the tithe. So it paid for the cost of all the ministry expenses that they had, and it took care of the people that were responsible for doing them for the nation. Does that make sense? So that's what they used it for, okay? Um, I'm saying that because 
there's some parallel in that today. We don't have a sacrificial system where we kill animals and things, but the churches still exist today, and the churches operate, churches, Christian churches operate on the tithes and the offerings of the people within the church. I'm saying that because I've had some people that have talked to me over the last couple of months, uh, and I've heard one person ask, they said, well, how does the church get money? You know, do, are you guys government-subsidized? Is this how the church actually gets money? Is it government subsidized? Someone else asked me, what other job do you have? Because I'm sure you have to get a different job to be able to work and do what you're doing, um, that this is a volunteer thing, right? And I said, well, no. And we talked through that a little bit. So not everyone has a full understanding of what that works and what it looks like. But those are some of the reasons why tithing was put in place, okay? Now, I'm going to tell you this, and I want you, you may, may or may not know this. In the Old Testament, there were three different tithes. Okay, the first tithe is the one I just described, the Levitical tithe. It was 10%, it was consecrated and set apart for God. Israel, all of Israel, took 10% of their wealth every year, their increase, and they gave it to God for the sake of worship and for the sake of the Levites. Then there was another 10% that they were asked to save, another 10%. It's called the feast tithe, and that money was used to fund trips to Jerusalem and religious events. And they would use that money because the nation of Israel, they came from different places. They would gather in Jerusalem, they would worship together, and there were different festivals and feasts in the nation of Israel. God said the first tenth goes to the Levites. That's the Levitical tithe. The second tithe is the feast tithe. You must save another 10%. And then there was a third tithe that was taken every three years. That was called the benevolence or the poor tithe. And that 10% came out every three years, and it was then distributed for the poor, the widows, and the orphans. Okay? Some of you may not know that, but if you added all of that up and spread it out over three years, God asked the people of Israel to set aside 23 and a third percent of all of their annual income for something other than themselves. You good? Aren't you glad you're here? Okay, you're like, well, I didn't know that. I thought it was just a 10%. This is important for you to understand why, and we'll talk about it again in a few minutes. Okay, it was a tithe of a tenth in the Levitical, but just keep hold that thought that there were three different tithes, 23 and a third percent. That's the first thing I wanted to share with you today. Second, tithing is a test. Tithing is a test. I have had people talk to me about this over the years and say, I don't know why I need to tithe. I don't know why I need to give to the church. Is tithing even relevant for the New Testament? We're now in the new church. There's a new covenant under Jesus Christ. Are we supposed to tithe? Are we not supposed to tithe? Before we talk more about that, let me back up and just say one thing. A test is why God asks us to give back to him. God does not need any of our financial um, wealth. Do you understand? He doesn't need any of it. Remember from week one, what did Pastor Jeff say? Who owns it? God already owns it, right? So it's not as if we're supporting God, right? It's not as if, you know, we're taking a collection and raising money so that God can make another planet. It doesn't work like that. He owns everything. He does not ask us to give back to him for his sake. He asks us to give back to him for our sake. It is a heart issue. And there's two reasons why. There's two tests that I want to mention this morning that I think are important for us to understand. One of the tests is from us to God. And what I mean by that is a test that measures our trust in God. 
When God calls us to tithe or to give back to his church, what he's doing is he's testing us, and it's an opportunity to measure how much we trust in God. Physical tests reveal the condition of our mind. Spiritual tests reveal the condition of our heart. And God is looking for hearts that are fully committed to him. Why is money one of those things? Well, Jesus addresses it in Matthew 6, 24. He even says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then he goes on to say, and we're not going to read that. He then talks about how you shouldn't worry about all the details of your life. But he tells us very clearly, you cannot serve both God and money. And if you will, it's like he's positioning at a space to say, our hearts are either going to choose one of two things. We're either going to choose God or we're going to choose what the scriptures say, original mammon. We're going to choose to serve God spiritually or we're going to choose to serve ourselves and and follow the ways of the world. And this, if you understand what I'm saying and you're following me with this, is really, really significant because there are two things that I think we cling to more than anything else in this world. Probably the two most valuable things to us, okay, And don't say your family, I agree with that, but your time and your money, they are very important to people. Two of the most important things that people have. And God knows this. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows me better than I know myself. And he knows that foundationally, it is harder for us to continue to walk close to him if our hearts are connected to things of this world more than him. So, What he says here is that this test is to measure your trust in God. Remember Deuteronomy 10, 14, the Lord says, the Lord, your God belong to the Lord, your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens and earth and everything in it. So tithing is a test that reminds us who owns it all and who we serve. Okay. So let me just be practical about this for a minute. What do I mean by that? Because you might say, well, money doesn't really own me. And I remember a story when I was a kid. Okay, when I opened up a wallet and I was going to buy my mom a Christmas present and it was this pill container and it was round and white and it had these little things in the top that you could put pills in and it would turn and it was one of these sales companies that that was selling these things and I remember the sales lady was there and I was going to buy this for her as a gift and I had my wallet out and I remember it was maybe five dollars or something and I would give her a dollar and she's like, you need another dollar. I'm like, okay, I gave her another dollar. And then she said, you need another dollar. And I was a little kid. I was really young. Okay, I gave her another dollar. And then she looked at me and she goes, you need another dollar. And I went, nope. (laughs) Because I looked what was in my wallet. And I looked what I put on the table. And she's like, you need another dollar. And I said, nope. And I put it away. And I wasn't going to give her anymore. My mom had to go into her purse. True story. She had to go into her purse, take out another dollar, and partially pay for the gift that I was giving her because I didn't want to part with any more of my money. Now, some of you might go like, that's horrible. How could you do this? Well, here's what I can tell you because you're part of the bigger picture here. Statistically, it is proven that the closer you get to physical bills in your hands, the harder it is for you to part with it. That's why we live in an electronic company, an electronic world, where if you go from a physical wallet with cash in it, you may spend $100, for example. 
But if you go to a debit card, which is still direct cash, but it comes right out of your account, you might spend $105. But if you jump to a credit card, which is even further away, you might spend $112. And that has been statistically proven. The further you get away from actual cash in hand, the more you're willing to spend. Why? Because there's something about these green bills that have value to us. You know what I'm talking about? There's something about them that have value. And I want to hold on to these sometimes. And you know why? Because I'm a sinner in the need of a saving God. And when it's in my hand, there's something about this that says, wow, I, I earned this. This is mine. You with me? Does anyone have this experience? If you do, just say amen. Everyone say at the same time, you know, anyone? It's hard to part sometimes with things that you have owned and what you've worked for. So when I look at this and I look at it, I go, how many hours did I have to work to, own, to, to, to earn this? How many hours did I have to? And I look at it and then I remember Pastor Jeff said it all belongs to God. I don't like that message. So I'm going to go and I'm going to go this way. Oh, you know what? I have 10 $100 bills here. Well, that's $1,000. That's a, that's a lot of money, right? And what does God say in that? He goes, well, according to scriptures, foundationally, the very first tenth should probably come back to me. You know, that's kind of what I'm saying. Why? Because this is a pattern that wasn't just established by Israel. We're not going to go there. But if you go all the way back to Genesis 14, 500 years before God ever gave the law to the nation of Israel, there was a man named Abram who became Abraham. And in gratitude to what God did for him, he tithed a tenth of everything he had to the king. He, I'm sorry, he tithed the, everything he had to the priest, to Melchizedek, the priest. He gave 10% of everything that he had 500 years before. Why? Because you give the king back, you give the leaders back, you tithe back to those around you in thanksgiving for what God has provided. You give 10% back to God. So if there were 100 or 10 $100 bills here, God would say, okay, the very least, take one of them and give them back to me, Right? Now, in our minds, we go, oh my goodness, what would that look like? Because some people, they give it, some people give it, and they go, okay, I gave it. Um, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? You know what I could do with this? Anyone know what I'm talking about? You give money to God, this question will cross your mind. And if it won't cross your mind directly, someone else will make you think about it. But Lord, this is what I've been given. Paul, it doesn't belong to you. Okay. I'm going to give this to you, but man, I could really use a new whatever. I could really use, there's a leak in my whatever. I really need to replace this thing. This is on the fritz. My shoes are wearing out. The list, whatever excuse you want to give that's going on, God, are you really sure I should be giving this back? And what we're saying, and think about the, the, the silliness of it in a way. I am not able to trust God with 90% of what he's given me, but I can trust myself with 100% of it. Think about that. That's kind of silly if you think about it. Who's God in that picture, church? We are. And that's what Jesus was saying. You can't serve God and you can't serve money. So what he's saying here is really important. He's saying in the first specific thing, a test of what, who you are going to trust. 
You have to know who you are going to trust. Because what we don't understand in the midst of it is that, again, God sees our heart, he understands where we're coming from, and he has told us not to worry about what he's going to take care of. So, a tithe is a test. The second test the tithe is, it's not just a test of understanding whether or not we trust God, and I love this part, this is really cool. It's a second test, not just in how much we trust God, but it's a test that reveals God's faithfulness to us. A test that reveals God's faithfulness. There's a passage in Malachi, and it's the only time in Scripture you ever see God talk to the people of Israel and challenge them to test him. In fact, Jesus said the opposite. You're not supposed to put the Lord your God to the test. We're not supposed to challenge God in areas of faith. But when it comes to this, in Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12, the nation of Israel, was they would follow God, they would walk away from God. They would do things for God. They would do things for themselves. And they were a backslidden people who were walking away from God and they experienced all kinds of problems because they weren't honoring God. They were planting fields that weren't harvesting. They were, they were investing their time and their effort and everything and they were getting very little return and they were struggling with why this was happening. But they were walking in sin and immoral lifestyles and they were worshiping false gods and they had corrupt priests and they were arrogant in their lives. And if you will, it's kind of like they were spinning their wheels. Did you ever feel like in your life financially you're just spinning your wheels? You're like, I can't get ahead. Why can't I get ahead? God says this to Israel in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6. He said, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Isn't that interesting that they've walked away from God and he's, they've done things to walk away and he says, you've got to come back to me. And their next question might be, well, how are we supposed to come back to me? Look what he says in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Verse 10. He then tells them, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, said the Lord Almighty. And see if you will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent, verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Let me tell you this. Giving back to God is not a formula to become wealthy. That is not godly. That is not biblical. There is a gospel out there called the prosperity gospel that teaches you give to God and he's going to open the floodgates of money to you because he wants all his people to be millionaires. That is not godly. It is not gospel and we would never teach that. What we do see in scripture is he says, trust me in the fact that when you honor me and give back to me what already belongs to me, I will give you everything you need and many times I will go above and beyond to fill whatever gaps and needs that you have in your life. That's what God teaches us. That's different. Does it make sense? That's so different and it's important and we have to understand. So this is what we need to do. We need to think differently and recognize that if God has given us this money and he said, I want you to give me this back. We give this back to him, okay? We should be confident to know that we will do everything he wants to do with this amount if this is all that God's calling us to keep. Why? Because he's not a God of scarcity, church. He's a God of wealth. He's a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
He's the God that owns everything, knows everything, knows every need you have, wants to bless you. And to to him, this means absolutely nothing to him. There's no value in this to him whatsoever. Are you with me? Some of your eyes are huge right now in this moment. And you're going, are you serious? It's just prop money. Okay? It's not real. Okay? But here's what I want to tell you. And and this, this is why it's so important that it's not real. Because to God, it's all nonsense anyway. He owns all of it. And he says, if you can't trust me with this little thing, then all of this stuff is not going to be available to you in the way you need it and when you need it. It's important for us to understand. And here's what's really cool. When we are faithful, he opens doors of faithfulness in ways that we would never understand. Now, I was thinking and I was thinking, what kind of examples could I give you this morning to talk about the significance of tithing and why this is important? And all of my examples primarily... They go back to when we first got married and we were working a single job, brand new out of college. And I, and I think the reason for that isn't because we're not still faithful today, because I do have stories I could share more recently. But I think it's important for us, us to understand that sometimes we believe a myth that we will be faithful to God once we reach a certain area in our life. And I'm telling you, as young people earning one income with a baby and a house and all the responsibilities that we needed to have in that time, 27, 28 years ago, we were faithful to God during that time. And we continued to give back to him what we thought foundationally he was asking us to do. Remember, just a tenth we did at that point. I won't tell you what my salary was, but I can promise you, you probably all earn a whole lot more than I did when I first started working 28 years ago. And I remember getting the mortgage bill every month. It was $584. Right? Right? I was like, whoa, $585. Right? Add the taxes to it, it was like $700-something. $723, I think, or $724.58. So anyway, um, wrote that check out every single month. And I could tell you what percentage that was of my income was pretty high. And we wrote that out every single month. Every single month. And I'd get my bank statements. This is when we had paper bank statements and we would reconcile our checking accounts. Okay? Some of you are going, what are you talking about? Just trust me. There was a time that we actually got paper from the bank and we had to like calculate things to make sure that the numbers in our checking account matched on the paper. Okay? And one of the weeks or one of the months I got this back, there was a debit on my account for 44 cents. And I remember looking at it and going, I don't, I don't buy anything for 44 cents. I didn't write a check. So I called the bank and I said, what is that? And they said, well, that, that was... Um, no, no, I called, I called the, uh, that was my mortgage statement. I called the mortgage company and I said, uh, what's going on here? And they said, I don't know, you got to talk to your bank. So I called the bank and I said, why do I have a 44 cent debit on this? And they said, that came from your mortgage company. And I said, okay, they told me to talk to you. And they said, well, I'm telling you, whatever they told you, whatever they told us to debit from your account is what they, we debited. So we took 44 cents off of that check that you wrote. And I said, but that's not right. And they said, call your mortgage company. So I called the mortgage company again. And they said, we have on record that you're paid in full. You don't owe us anything. I said, you, you, do you understand what the problem is here? There's over $700 that's missing in this world. Well, actually, it's still in my bank account. Long story short, I kept that money in my bank for a year because I was afraid that someone actually would have taken it away. And they never did. And I go back and I look at that and I go, Lord, I don't know how that happens or what's going on, but I promise you that as we are continually being faithful, I will trust you with these things, even when it makes me nervous. 
even when it makes me nervous, because God wants to show you his faithfulness, church. He wants to show you that when you choose to take steps to honor him, when you choose to take steps to give back to him, he wants to bless you in a way. And sometimes it's not a dollar for dollar. Don't ever, ever believe because you give a dollar, he's going to give you two. Don't believe that. He just meets the needs. I love Pastor, Pastor Jeff's story the first week he preached about it, that he was giving his money away for a car, and then God gave him a car, and his first response was, I don't really want that car. I love that. I had that experience when I gave a car away, and I searched for months to look for a car, and the car was sitting in my garage for, for two, three months before I ever gave it away because I was waiting for the guy to come into town, and, and I remember I looked for a car for two or three months, and the day he picked up the car and the day he drove away, I looked and I said, Lord, we only have one car now. Now we need a car. That night on Craigslist, I found the car that I bought, which was a mile from my house, and that car still is running today with 215,000 miles on it. And I look at this and I go, God, and and here's why. Because I looked at it and I went, I don't really want that car. It's kind of ugly. You know, I was like, I'm not going to pick up any girls in this car. And God said, why is that a problem? You know, (laughs) but my point is he met the need. And can I tell you, he has met the need through that silly car, through me and through my son and through my kids. Like this is generational. Now we're talking about that. That dumb little thing with 215,000 miles keeps on going. And it's going to go to Texas in a couple of weeks, and it's going to continue to go there. And I'm going, how does God know? Because he's bigger, he's better, he's stronger. Everything that you need from him, he will give you, and he will do it in ways you never, ever thought possible. In 2007, when I left corporate full-time, I took a huge pay cut to go into ministry. And I'm sharing some of these stories because they're so relevant, and they were in a place where I went, wow, We're not talking like 5%. We're talking like 50%. Like, Lord, how are we going to do this? And we already set ourselves up to live on a lot less money than I was making. Why? Because managing well is part of being generous towards people. You don't live at everything that you have. You have to save. You have to put away. And if you don't, then just say no. I know you like Starbucks, but you don't have to buy it. I know you like pre-made food, but you don't need to buy it. It's okay. It's actually healthier for you to eat at home. Amen? It It is healthier, right? It's not as fun, but it's healthier. So we had money that we were putting away and we were living on a lot less than I earned. And I remember during that time when I was doing the booking and the finances, I felt like the Lord said, doesn't matter that your income has dropped so much. I want you to continue to give at the level that you were giving before you left corporate. And I said, you're crazy. That's crazy. I'm never going to do that. And then a couple days later or a week later, God, I mean, it's funny. Like, I think God does this for thousands and thousands of years. He says something. He knows we're going to say no. And then he just waits. And you go back to him and he says, are you going to do this? And I said, okay, we're going to do this. So over the course of a year, that's what we continue to do. We give our tithes to the church, but then we continue to give in other ways to other people. And sometimes it was known, and a number of times, people had no idea what we did. Sometimes it was people that we liked, and sometimes God asked us to do it for people that did not like us and that were saying nasty things about us behind our back. And that is the hardest thing to do. If you're ever going to imagine taking a, a, a wad of $100 bills and anonymously giving it to somebody that you know does not like you, and you can never tell them that you were the one that gave it to them. How would that feel, right? Don't, isn't there a part of it you would just want to say, I gave that to you. Why are you being so mean to me? That came from us. How many of you agree when I'm talking? Isn't there a part of you in your flesh that just want to do that? No, we couldn't do that. We did this over the course of a year. And I remember I thought, what's going to happen? At the end of the year, 
The money in our savings account was the same amount of money almost than there was from a year before. I don't know how that happened. And then I went back and pulled up my Quicken reports, and I said, how much money did we actually give this year? And it was 23 and a third percent. 10% for the Levites, 10% for the feasts, a a three and a half percent or three and a third percent every year for benevolence, widows, pours, and offering. And I felt like in that moment, God said, you don't even have to be able to figure it out, Paul. Just trust me and know as you trust me, I'm going to show you that you are going to be more and more taken care of because he is faithful, church. So tithing is a tenth. Tithing is a test. It tests our trust in God and it, tr- and it tests God's faithfulness back to us. I love the second part. And the third that we're going to talk about here is that tithing is a tool that can develop a lifestyle of generosity in us. It's a tool that God uses to stretch the muscle of generosity in us. Let me explain what I mean by that. I've heard people debate this question till they're blue in the face. This past week, I probably listened to 15 different messages and sermons on people talking about, is the tithe relevant today? Should we tithe? Why shouldn't we tithe? Reading different books and seeing what the scripture says about it. And people have different opinions about different things. I firmly believe 100% that God is still calling the church to tithe today for a number of reasons. They say in the New Testament, there's no law. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 to 18, look, he said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So there's a way that you can look at this to say, Jesus didn't come to throw out all the things in the law. He came to fulfill them. And this is what I want you to hear as Christians today in 2023. In the Old Testament, there's obligatory giving in tithing. But in the New Testament, there's a shift that moves from tithing to sacrificial giving. From tithing to sacrificial giving. And the danger that we have if we're not careful is that people can say, well, the Bible doesn't say that we're really supposed to tithe in the New Testament, right? And to be quite honest, it really doesn't. There's really not a whole lot in the New Testament that says you need to tithe. But let me ask you this question. If Jesus came and he knew what his people needed in the Old Testament foundationally in giving back because he knew the attitude that this could do and how it could affect their hearts, how did he shift from that to a heart of sacrificial giving and how would it go down? If anything, it's actually gotten more. It actually has grown. And in the New Testament, you don't see a percentage as much as you see a mindset. That everybody in the New Testament continues to say, no, no, it's no longer an obligation. It's an opportunity to see God move in you and around you. It's no longer the transaction of a 10% thing, but it is an opportunity for you to transform the way that you live. And also, it's not about following the law. It's about building a lifestyle of generosity. Why? Because we're not talking about tithing in the New Testament or today. We're talking about sacrificial giving. And so what I'm talking to you about is that should we tithe today? Absolutely. We foundationally always give 10% to our church. I do that. We do that. We've done that for years and years and years. But here's what I want you to hear. It doesn't end there. God did not call the New Testament church to give 10% as a formula and then keep the rest for themselves and live selfishly us and they say, I'm flat broke. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm upside down in my house, in my car. How do I do this? I don't look at them and say, if you don't start giving 10%, you are cursed. I would never say that. What I would say in the New Testament is, do you trust God? I want to trust God. Then pick something and start trusting him and giving back to him.
And watch what he does, because as the relationship continues to grow, you will continue to increase that generosity towards him because he's going to show you faithfulness towards you. Do that. 1%, 2%, 4%, 5%, 8%, 10%. It's really, really cool. Pastor Rick Warren, he was the senior pastor of Saddleback Church for over 25 or 30 years. He reversed tithes. 90% of everything he brings in, he gives back to God. And he's built it historically over the years. Why? Because he continues to give to God and God continues to bless him. So why am I saying that to you? Because I want you to hear that God has equipped all of us today to give in some percentage in some way. Foundationally, I think it is. The minimum would be a tenth for me. And I think foundationally, God would challenge all of us to do that. However, this is about relationship. It's not about a formula. And what I would encourage you to do is ask yourself where you are today and how it is God is calling you to live. How has he blessed you and encouraged you? People don't always like to hear this, but he might be calling you to give 10%, 20%, 30%. You might make so much money that God's telling you to give away 75% of what you have. And I'm not saying you have to give it to the church at that point. There are tithes that are foundation, and there's offerings which go above and beyond. But an attitude of generosity changes the kingdom of earth because it's being influenced by the kingdom of God. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So it is a mindset shift in the New Testament. And we see it in Acts 4. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no need. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone that was in need. And then I want to leave one more scripture for you in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. Paul talks to one of the wealthiest churches in in, in, in the New Testament church and he says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in completeness, earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Verse 9, For you know the grace our Lord Jesus Christ, that through he was rich, though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor, so that through his poverty you may become rich. What is this all saying? It says the more we understand the sacrifice God gave us through his son Jesus the more we have an understanding of the love that God has given to us, the more our hearts is to give it all back to him. This is really, really truth right here. And the more that we understand the depth of God's love for us, the more our heart is open to love others. And that may mean in our gifts. It may mean in our skills. It's going to mean in our finances as well. So if we struggle with generosity, we don't have a money problem. We have a heart problem. And God wants to deal with that. Because as we celebrated this morning in communion, God gave everything he had through the gift of his son so that you and I might live. Amen? I'm going to ask our worship team to come up and as they get ready and they get prepared to close this morning, I want you to dream with me just for a few moments. Would you dream with me? And I want you to imagine what it would be like in this world today if the church of Jesus Christ led by example that we were led by example, that we were the ones that were the lenders and not the borrowers. We were the ones that were the givers and not the takers. 
We were the ones that weren't looking for handouts, but they were giving handouts to other people. And that doesn't mean you have to do it with a lot of money. It may be very little amount of money. Maybe, I mean, think about the widow's mites in the New Testament. She came and gave two copper coins. She gave all that she had, and it was more, Jesus said, than all of the wealth that was given by the wealthy people. Why? Because she gave out of her poverty, not out of her abundance. So you may be here this morning and say, I can literally only give this amount of money. That's okay. I remember one of the women that was in our church years ago, and she would fill out a little envelope, and every week she'd fill it out. It would be like $2.14, and she would do that. And I just looked at it and said, God sees her heart, and God knows where she's at, and he honors everybody where they are. But imagine, if you will, what the church of Jesus Christ could accomplish and do if we started focusing on the fact that all of the resource belongs to him and he's called us to use it for his purpose. This is more than just how buildings are being built. It's how ministries are started. It's how movements begin. It's how millions of people have been touched across the world because people have seen the resource God's given them and they give it away for the sake of the kingdom. Every year at Easter, we celebrate and we we support Convoy of Hope. Do you know every dollar that we give to them of every dollar about 9% of what we give to them goes to administrative costs 90 to 91% of everything we give goes directly to the people that we support how do they do that because there's some great organization well they are but they have huge amounts of donors that give to handle a lot of the other financial stuff that they do and they pay for all of that and underwrite it because they recognize how God has blessed them for the sake of blessing others so I want to encourage you this morning If God's tugging on your heart because you need to reorder some things in your life, don't do it because you think there's a payout at the end. The motivation is not to give so that God gives you something back. The motivation is to give because of the love Christ has already given us. And when we do that, there is incredible amounts of benefit and blessing that comes from that. So I asked the worship team if they would just sing this song together with us. And I would ask if you would join us as we get ready to close. Make this song a prayer of your heart is what my prayer is for you. And that we would actually make room in our hearts, not for religion, but we would make room in our hearts for relationship with God that's evidenced in our generosity. Would you stand with us?